My name is Marie Soto, and I am your host uh, for this walk through the underworld. Uh, Afterlife is a podcast about life, death, and life uh, coming from very funny people. I'm happy to introduce a good friend of mine, Veronica Antipolo. Uh, Veronica actually got into comedy as part of a midlife crisis and leap of faith. Veronica took stand-up comedy and storytelling after getting fired from a quote-unquote good job at 45. She's the co-founder of Mosaic Untold Lives, a storytelling platform for women of color, a producer, and a comedian. She performed to a sold-out show at CBC Glenn Gould Studio. I was there. Uh, published her first story and was featured on CBC Radio. A cheerleader of women, Veronica hopes to connect people by producing events that showcase their diverse narratives through storytelling and comedy. A single mom who's sassy and real, Veronica refuses to miss any more moments not doing these things that she loves. Welcome to the show, Veronica. Thank you, Marie. I'm yeah. I'm happy to to be here. We have such long conversations that I feel like this is just an extension of that. This is going to be a very long conversation. I I feel um, <laughs> we've had a lot to get through talking about life, death, and life. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. So when I see you perform on stage, and Veronica's an awesome performer. She like lights up the room and like, yeah, gets like gets everybody feeling like a real sense of togetherness. It feels like you make the space come alive. Um, Thank you. Because I I see you like as a storyteller. And um, I think when I I saw you perform one of the first couple of times, like what you see on stage, there's a like, there's a very clear idea of a person there or like who you are comes across really clearly. but when we talked, like just knowing your entire, like <laughs> the whole, your whole backstory and your story arc, like you really lived a life. And I didn't know like all of the, um, it, it sounded like all of the experiences that you like went through or yeah, all the kinds of things that you lived through kind of got you to where you are. And I think it's just something um it's it's a it's a story worth telling and worth knowing. <laughs> um, Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So I think, yeah. When we talked, we talked about um, how I don't I did not know this was a thing, but um, like how comedy comes out of great tragedy, and you mentioned that you got your start, mm-hmm. um, uh, like some comedians do, uh, at a funeral, um. At your uncle's funeral you want to talk about that yeah so I mean this is way before I actually started comedy but I f- feel like I've heard a lot of comedians say that one of the first inklings that they had or stirrings of the comedy um stroke not stroke but uh, of comedic um influence is uh, saying a speech at a funeral or giving a speech as a funeral and it was the same for me i remember being a teenager i think i was 19 and my uncle had passed away and they had said you know maybe it would be nice for you know the nieces and nephews to give a speech at uh his his viewing and so what was originally supposed to happen is I was going to speak, but my cousins were supposed to come up with me to the podium. And so when they called only my name, instead of following me up there, I ended up going up by myself. And so I did this, this speech at my, my uncle's um, viewing. And then after that, like I started to get asked to do a lot of speeches at weddings and, and, and funerals, which is which is like exactly almost what this podcast is about. It's, it's life and it's death and, and comedy, it like interspersed between the two. And I feel like that's where I think starting to make the connection through just public speaking first with that audience. I don't want to call them an audience because they're there either for a wedding or a funeral, but that's essentially what they were is they were my first audiences. Um, and then comedy just sort of came 
accidentally, really. It was just, I, I, like my bio said, I was fired from a quote unquote good job. I had already picked up my retirement cake. It was going to be strawberry shortcake. Um, and then I, 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 I was 45. I was like, yes, I'm set pension. And then when I told people where I work, they, that's the first thing they said too. They're like, oh, you lucked out and you're going to have a great pension. And I started to buy into that that dream, I guess, even though I hated what I was doing, to be honest. Um, and then when I, I got fired, I felt, I felt really betrayed because I thought I bought into this whole system of doing what you're supposed to do and following the right path. And so, um, and then being 45, I just felt really depressed. I was like, what am I doing? I don't even like this. And so I, I started to look through the Second City um, course catalog and I thought maybe I'll, I'll listen to my friend who said you should try stand-up. And when I read the course descriptions, I was so intimidated by stand-up. I thought I can't do that. So I took storytelling first. And that's how it all started is I took storytelling and then there were two men in there who were self-admittedly unfunny. And I remember... And they were, they were very unfunny. And because they, they were self-admittedly so, I was like, okay, yeah, cool. And actually one of them did say, listen, if I can take it, then for sure you can take it. And actually I will, I thank that person for, for encouraging me because that's when I actually took um, stand up. And honestly, I, I was like, this is an adult thing to do um, because I was, I, I'm a single mom and it's just, it was just me and my, I can't remember, six or seven-year-old at that time. It was just something for me to do to hang out with adults. And I only really wanted to get to the grad show and not make a fool of myself. And then especially, too, there were only three women in that class. And two of them, sorry, four of us, and two of them didn't even do the show. One of them dropped out immediately after the first class. So I felt this need to represent um women for the grad class <laughs> and just to make it through I was just like just don't let me bomb the grad class just don't let me bomb the grad class and that's all I didn't expect any it to lead to any of the stuff I'm doing now but I'm very grateful for it yeah there was it looked like there was a lot of uh just you being open to change and also moments that kind of pushed you to change uh but before we talk about that I do want to say this is not an ad. It's not a sponsored ad for uh, Second City. Uh, it's not. There, is a, <laughs> there, there, there are other there are other comedy institutions out there, but um, yeah, um, there are. <laughs> you, you you mentioned um, like growing up, like there were some real moments where um, you dealt with loss in a way that kind of like an experience that kind of was a. Uh, a turning point in your perspective mm -hmm. and um you want to talk yeah about so so i i grew up um close to the bridal path which if you're not from toronto it's where drake lives where prince has lived it's it's one of the richest neighborhoods in toronto i just happened to be in the catchment Ooh. where i went to school with people who who lived on the bridal path and went to, you know, the private schools around there. Um, however, my home life was, I live with my paternal grandparents and my, my aunt. So on my paternal side, because my parents were um, trying to figure themselves out They're They were immigrants. So they're trying to figure themselves out and provide a base for me. And then, you know, get me later, which I think a lot of, um, first gen people will will get I think that's a very familiar story mm -hmm. to them um mm -hmm. and so because I I grew up with these these people in my school there was it was just there was just me this Filipino kid who they didn't even know what it was so I just said I was Hawaiian because it sounded they didn't no, know well, that's how old I am. <laughs> like at that time, there were not that many Filipinos. Now it's like, I think the, one of the fastest growing populations here. Um, and so they didn't know what I was. And I never, 
felt the need to assimilate. And I think it was because of my upbringing. My grandparents were very vivacious, gregarious people, both of them, my grandmother and my grandfather. And it was, it was just, I think, through being in that experience of just being yourself, whether you're perceived a certain way or not. And so I never felt the need to assimilate and I always felt kind of rebellious towards it. But at the same time, I was, you know, I was a kid trying to fit in somehow or at least not feel alone. And so I was a little bit embarrassed about how I lived. I slept on the floor um, with my grandparents and because my aunt was paying for most of, you know, the rent, she was taking care of the finances, she got the bedroom. And then on weekends, I'd go to my mom's and I, it's like I was um, middle class. We'd go to museums. I'd listen to, we'd go to the symphony. I'd go to the art gallery and the museum. And there was such a contrast between my Monday to Friday and my Saturday and Sunday. Um, and then when I was 12, I went to go live with my, my mom and my stepdad, who's, who's German and 17 years older than her. And I felt like I put my experience of growing up with my grandparents away because I was just like, well, now I can be this normal person in society. I can be, you know, that model minority um, and, and, and sort of assimilate and do the things that I'm supposed to do. And when my grandmother passed away, I think I was 30 then, it, 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 it broke my heart. Because up until that point, I realized I had, I had denied my roots. And I think that's something that a lot of um, people of color go through at one point or another. Um, and it ties into me being fired because... I had tried to assimilate that whole time for basically 20 something years. And so I often, I still reflect on it heavily. And I actually have a story about my grandmother and my grandfather. And what I realized is those very things that I tried to deny and the loss of them made me realize that that was my greatest strength is to have such a strong sense of self that they had. They had nothing. Like, they literally had nothing. I actually just talked to my aunt recently, and she said, what you didn't know when you were growing up is that there were so many times we didn't know if we were going to have groceries. And I was like, oh, my God. Which would explain why we ate a lot of um, those mung beans, you know, those green beans. And you're like, ah, oh, this is... Uh, yeah, it was yeah, the best yeah. meal ever. And so like through that loss, I unfortunately only learned then that the only way to get ahead and not in a materialistic way, but to stay above all the bullshit is to, to really dig into your values and to your, to your roots, into your history. And that's the strength. That's where you derive the strength from. And so that's how I try now. And even at this, this stage in my life where, where people think there's a certain, it's almost like people think there's like this finite boundary is like, now I've learned it all. You know, in high school, you're like, oh, at 27, I'm going to be old, but that's not really the case. It's just, I think the older you get, you're like, wow, I really don't know shit. <laughs> And that's the stage that I'm at. I'm like, no, there's a lot more growing people. Like there really is a lot more you can accomplish regardless of age. It's not a bumper sticker. It's not a cliche. It's just life. It's just, you don't know what you don't know until you get there. And so that's how I try to live my life. I try to be as vivacious as them, as gregarious as them, as um, entrenched in, in values as them. So they... So it's like I'm bringing them back to life in a sense. Spooky. <laughs> I feel like the way that like your life also unfolded was where you didn't follow the expectations of like traditional Filipino families. Like 
Veronica, you're still not, you're, you're like not married or like, they're like, you're, you're, what are you doing as your job? And like things like that of like, um, yeah, not having like quote unquote settled down or like followed the right path to what uh, they perceive to be success. Um, I feel like that's very in line with like you being true to yourself and what you believe in and doing, pursuing comedy. Um, but I also feel like um, just your openness to change and like how, yeah, you, when you, you talk, you mentioned before, um, like how you would, you would think about like living in the moment and think about how like, you know, now <laughs> what happens now, it's, it's just, it's gonna, it's gonna change, it's gonna pass. Um, even in your darkest times, I think you talked about, you have your tradition where you write letters mm -hmm. to your future self and like how that kind of put things in perspective for you of um, how, like you mentioned that when people talk about like, oh, you know, things will change or you'll grow out of it or like things will get better. Um, like those things kind of just like, like when people say it, mm -hmm. it's just words. But then I feel like when you mentioned it, um, when we talked, uh, it was something that was real, became yeah. real to you. Um, yeah, because it was you mm -hmm. literally talking to yourself. Um, and you also mentioned um, experiencing a loss of a friend before um, that also kind of made you um, more willing and open to like, yeah. <laughs> to like live, I guess, fully. I'm trying not to think mm -hmm. of a way to say it really corny, but I feel like you do that exceptionally <laughs> well. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a really nice conversation that we had. It was, it was. And, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I've had a very untraditional Filipino life. Um, I was married, but I got <laughs> married because I just felt like, because at the time I was 34, I had like, I already had my son and I can't remember how old he was at the time, actually probably around my daughter's age. And I, and because at Filipino 34, I should have been married how many years prior. So I just got married because I had to, I, so I ticked it off my my list and then I got divorced. So I've done that for my family. <laughs> there you go. And then I just, I was in another relationship, but what I realized is that I had always been in some kind of relationship since I was 16, all the way into my early forties. And that's when I decided, I'm like, maybe I should take time to be single. And that's why I'm single now, fellas. Um, but Yes, I do. I do write to my future self through this website. Again, it's not sponsored, but check it out. It's called futureme.org. So it's a website where you write an email to yourself, which you can do in your journal and you can do in your email. But what it does is it hides the email from you, essentially, because in your inbox, you can cheat and look back and sort of you don't have the time and the space to look at it as if you're this third person in the room looking at, at, at it objectively. Whereas I write to myself every New Year's um, and it started I, 2011, I think. And the reason I wrote to myself at that time was because at the time I was married and I was extremely unhappy. And I just had heard of this website. So I wrote to myself for the following New Year's and it was, it was a very depressing email really. And when I read it the following year, so much had changed in a year. And when I read it, it was, it was, I, I, I didn't, I looked at this past Veronica and I was like, who is that? I, literally did not recognize her because of the space and time I wrote it in and it was the first time that cliche made sense to me where people say oh you know only time will heal only time will tell time heals all wounds and I thought yeah okay but this was a very 
tangible example of that and it couldn't be ignored. And so I thought if so much can change in a year, imagine what you can do in a year without even realizing it because you think you'll remember those great moments or even those sad moments or any moments, but you don't really remember them. And this was like very clear to me. I had forgotten. It always surprises me no matter how many letters I write to myself or emails, it never ceases to surprise me who I was last year at this time. I it's, it's so strange to me still, but also so enlightening. And so when I started doing comedy and storytelling, um, I've been asked a few times, what do you, what do you hope for in terms of success or what will you define as success through comedy or whatever storytelling or any of the things that I'm doing? And the very truth of it is because of that experience is that I'm like, listen, everything I do now is gravy. <laughs> Considering where I was two and a half years ago, the fact that I'm doing things that I genuinely love doing that I feel obsessed about it, it's, it's all extra. It's so, it's so great to be doing things, even if it's for a day, a week, the fact that I've been doing it over two years now is just I'm like, what are you talking about? Haven't I made it? I feel like I've made it. And no, really. Yeah, it really That's is. So yeah. And the, so the friend that passed away, it was a close family friend. I've, I'd known their family since I was 16. So I've known them for 30 years. I became friends with the whole family and, and it was just the one person that I had met through school um, and it was her sister and she was the first person who around my age had had passed away that I knew really that well and so I knew that a lot of her life was based around regret and she wishes she had done that she wishes she she did this differently but she also found it very hard to move forward and witnessing that and being so close to that family and being close to her I thought well shit I don't want that to happen to me I don't want to be like oh I didn't get to do that so now I'm just like well I'm just gonna do it because I just want to say I did it whether or not it pans into this huge career like I'm not doing it for that it's it's why not try everything that you you want to try I mean within healthy boundaries of course but do you it's just fear is just such this it's this thing that's it seems immovable but it's not because a lot of people will ask me like how do you get the courage to to do this or do that or you just do things it's no secret. I'm not like superhuman. I'm quite the opposite. I literally just have in me the ability to just for one second, just close my eyes and turn off the noise in my head and just jump into a cold ass lake because that's all it is. Because once you're in there, it's like, okay, do I continue or do I climb out? that's all it is. There's no, there's no secret. Anyone really could do it. You just have to be able to shut out that noise for literally half a second and either take your mouse and click on, yes, I'm going to go through with it or just walk up on stage or just anything, whatever it is. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like um, there is so, like, there is something about, um, like, having experiences that push you to be open to something that's uncertain and placing yourself in those experiences, mm -hmm. like, knowing that you're going to be uncomfortable um, <laughs> and then just doing it anyway. Like, a lot of people who are performers like I feel like they just get into it because it's like mm -hmm. 
I've been through some other shit. <laughs> and this is like, this is, this is just another one of those things um, that I want to do. And like, that I, like, I'm not losing anything from like, being in, uh, being in this position of like, taking a chance on something that I don't know if it's going to pay off, but it's worth knowing worth doing in the end however it pans out for sure Um, which is like (laughs) yeah like and there's there's so few like like there's people who do that and then it's like like either way it's a it introduces um a change in some way like at least like I feel like when I'm doing that kind of stuff and I'm like yeah I'm a I definitely mm-hmm. have not strayed from the path, <laughs> from the righteous path. Um, and like, I feel like, yeah, I, I feel like it's something that, um, you know, yeah, it was worth knowing that it didn't, even if it didn't work out, it wasn't worth knowing that it didn't work out. For anyway. sure. And that's something I do no, for sure. If I look at it that way. Um, yeah. Just like so, I guess the take. No, yeah, like, because you're already you afraid of the failure, and I just <laughs> feel like there's so one thing I always, I don't know where I got it from. It's probably something I'll have to dissect later. Is that, um, I always figured that if you're already afraid of the answer being no, in turn, this is just logic. It's not even bravery. It's just plain logic. You already know that no is an option or failure is an option. That's your baseline. And you don't even know if it's if it's perceived or if it's going to be true. So if you know that no or failure is already an option and then you limit yourself to that, you're like, well, you haven't even considered the other options. What if it's not a no? What if it's a yes? What if it's a maybe? What if it's a success? And then in terms of failing, listen, I went through 40 years of thinking that every choice I made, um, and I have this argument with my son a lot, but I'm like, I went through a lot of things where I'm like, this is failing at life. This is failing at life. I'm selling out. This is not, I'm not on the right path, but I will tell you that right now, all those experiences that I thought like, what does, what are, what am I doing this for? Or am I ever going to use this experience or this skill or whatever? And I'm using all of those things right now, all those, all those adjacent experiences. And I call them adjacent because at the time you think they, they're this anomaly in your life, whether it's work, personal, whether it's like a, 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 a platonic relationship or even romantic you're like I don't know how you fit in somehow it all fits in later and you draw from those experiences that you think were just anomalies they're not anomalies they're there for for a purpose it's 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 not like this I'm burning sage and Santa Paulo type thing it's it's for real like every random experience that I've had specifically through work is um, exactly all the experiences and skills I draw upon for what I'm doing now. So you just have to push through whatever you're going through and just trust in yourself and trust in your life that it's for a purpose later or if it's for a purpose of sharing with someone later to help them and help yourself like it that's that's what I think uh, I, I feel like <laughs> this is now a motivation I know I know and I always get self so self-conscious about that <laughs> um I'm not one of those people that believe things happen for a reason but I do feel like I for a lot of reasons but I do feel like if you're you you make the purpose as you go and like if you're open and willing to like I think take those experiences and then find a way to make it fit and like find a way to work with it and be in good relationship mm-hmm. with the hardship or, or framing it another way for yourself to so that you can survive I feel like that's something where you're always just like a student 
um, <laughs> not that I'm saying my life is great, <laughs> but um, everything is really great. Um, but I feel like the openness is something yeah. that I feel like. And really honestly, matters. at the very base um, of it all, yeah. not <laughs> it's not anything motivational that I'm trying to, to push. It's just really at the base of it all is just don't be so hard on yourself. Or at least if you're going to be hard on yourself, just give yourself a time frame to be hard on yourself and then just move on because life isn't easy. <laughs> it's, it's not supposed to be, I don't think. If it were, wouldn't we be like, I would be a tree or something. I feel like that's an easier life. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I would like my ashes to be a tree uh, in some way. In the Yeah. <laughs> in how and how they process bodies now. Um, I think we do see, um, I guess, how we live or like the expectations of how we should live as something that's fixed. And I feel like um, how we navigate life mm-hmm. is based on mm-hmm. those like, I guess, checkpoints. <laughs> and I feel like um yeah when it's something that is like like when you're when you experience something that is like um life-changing it kind of puts things in perspective for you to be like oh this is like all of this like the things that I felt like I put placed such importance on and like so societally whatever uh, the expectation of me and something that I was like mm-hmm. building my life around that shit's not real <laughs> so if it's not real like I and I feel mm-hmm. like this happened for you where it's like I can actually make it up as I go okay. like there's no rule to this thing and I feel like it's it's a weirdly liberating thing of like yeah I, I like I'm gonna shape I'm gonna carve this path for myself in a way that works for me um um yeah so that I like I'm defining it on my own terms and definitely feeling like (laughs) (laughs) I should be delivering this at like a business conference (laughs) Um, (laughs) they're making more money than comedians right (laughs) like this this, no yeah afterlife is now exactly uh, exactly (laughs) inspirational life but you know what it's it's funny because I met or I've known a couple of um visual artists like painters um and I I also have a good friend who said that actually I've heard it quite a bit is that uh specifically with these these artists that I I know is what they they were self-taught um and they were self-conscious about being self-taught artists, but what they learned or what they were taught by their mentors or whoever they, their peers were, were that um, as soon as they started to learn something or about the structure of how you're supposed to do things, it almost messed up what they were already doing which was just fine Mm -hmm. and I've heard that over and over again with writers too I've heard that too is that um lots of writers who have have learned how to write um via academics or learning how to write academically stifled whatever else was there because then you're trying too much to fit into the structure but the thing is like you, you talked about business and, and almost the arts as if they're these two separate things. So I came from a mostly business background, like for, you know, over 20 years, that's, I was in, I was on Bay street. Like I was in the corporate world and they think of it, of art as separate and, and vice versa. Art thinks of business as separate. I, because I've been exposed to both now, there's a lot of things I use from that business world in, my art is it a sellout no I don't think so I think what both worlds don't realize is that there's a lot of similarities because to be in business 
you have to be able to think outside of the box. Those are the, the people that get ahead. The people who get ahead in business think outside of the box. What is that? That's creativity. That's art. It's very much, a, and then trying to explain how to get there. Maybe that's the business part where you have to sort of, you think of this big idea, but now how do you explain that in this, this way that people understand or how do you break it down to show people how you get there. Well, that's the business side, but it's still very driven by, by creativity, by art. They're, they're, they go hand in hand. Same with science. Like science is like, yeah, it's very precise. I'm like, yeah, but someone has to first think of that hypothesis. What? That's not, that's not science. That's just someone sitting under a tree, not a tree. Why do I keep talking about trees? But that's just someone thinking like, hey, maybe this and this are related. That takes some creativity to think that way. And now it's just proving it or and making it like trying to prove that that hypothesis. So, I mean, I think they go hand in hand. Not hand in hand, but I mean, they're more, they're, they're cousins at the very really? least. <laughs> Business, science, anything that people see as, as, as <laughs> logic or STEM and then they... I, I hate that they put art in this box. Like it's, it has no place. I'm like, uh, yes, it does. It totally does. Yeah. I think it was, yeah. Just talking about like, um, like how our world is structured, um, which is uh, structured around a business mm-hmm. kind of uh, like structured around a capitalistic model. Um, um, but I feel like, yeah, I think, for sure. I think there's an artful way to be living um, and to be thinking about these things. And I think, and I think we're, how we're seeing mm-hmm. like white supremacist structures being dismantled um, and like also the forms of like the systems of knowledge that come with them. Um, I think we're seeing of more than one, like than a, like what was originally like a Eurocentric perspective um, being kind of like mm-hmm. looked at in another way or being uh, deconstructed. Um, and I think like people wouldn't call like what, like how they deal with people like in a negotiation sure. and art, but I think there's an art to it. There's a way to be artful about it. Um, there's performance in it. Um, I think it is limiting to be thinking of approaching a creative process uh, that there's that there's like a specific like you've got to follow a textbook or you gotta um, yeah. like yeah follow the formula or prescribed view of doing something um, yeah I think that's that's a thing a lot of things are oh yeah for sure. there's there's a lot of things that are art. <laughs> yeah and I think yeah, there yeah like yeah there's an art sure. to the way I, you I live well it's like messy finger <laughs> paint art if you're looking at my life <laughs> but it's art I mean there's the, the, that's part of it though like you you said something to me where it's like the flaws yeah, that make it sure. beautiful and I was like yeah <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah like I don't want to hear about someone's life and it's like gone everything's just gone perfectly like everyone's drawn to drama if there's a, a car accident I don't care who you are you always look everyone looks <laughs> no one looks at just a person walking down the street and nothing's happened like I don't give a crap about you there's always like there's those those flaws those hiccups are are interesting they you know, they're, they're, they just make people so much more. I always say that I'm like, I've always been fascinated by people (laughs) and it's not a compliment necessarily. I'm just like, we are such strange beings. Like, honestly, we're so unpredictably predictable. It's just fascinating to watch. I just, that's what I miss actually is just (laughs) sitting and watching what what do you mean by they there's like this unpredictable I feel like there are human behaviors that are just so 
they're the same across it's it's the same everywhere regardless of race religion the the emotions that we express are the same they're, it's like it's not even similar they're the same grief is the same it's the same thing but what's unpredictable is how people present them and i for for me that's really interesting to watch like one of my favorite things to do is or used to be um is to sit in a mall or somewhere where there's a lot of people and just watch people and my favorite game was always to guess what was happening in that interaction and the amount of scenarios that you can come up with are endless because people present how they really feel in so many different ways more some people are more honest about what they feel and present them that way and some people try and and hide them and after watching people for a long time you start to you start to see their tells and because I was an only child and I lived with my old grandparents and an aunt all I did was watch adults because no one talked to me you know when you're an only child and you're the only child in a party of adults you literally just are sitting there watching them <laughs> yeah. yeah so yeah I love like watching people my favorite thing to watch actually are um, biographies and um, documentaries those are my favorite things because I'm like let me see what I can learn from from their life so I have like a list of Netflix movies that I I'm like I'm gonna just take from what they did and what they did and see how I can I can add that to how I live my life and career <laughs> yeah I guess yeah. so yeah never thought of like that. anthropology damn it I should have went into that <laughs> or, yeah yeah I think well yeah uh, I think like there's and this is from my psych 101 where it's like like I did some psych or I studied it I was gonna do therapy um at an earlier time in my life where I wanted to be a therapist but it's, I think it's mm -hmm. interesting in the way that people, um, yeah, perform themselves and then also, yeah, perform, like, yeah, where they are projecting an image of themselves mm -hmm. that is um, calibrated based on who they're dealing with and the circumstance. And I think that's something that's interesting and it's like, when um when you see someone who's like well, yeah when you can tell when you can tell um I guess um like when they are being yeah when they're when they're revealing and being authentic in the moment uh -huh. or when they or when they like break like yeah. that's something that was interesting to me um yeah <laughs> because I feel like as with an as an investigative mind that I have, I think that's interesting mm -hmm. when that thing yes. when there's that yeah, yeah. flash of like yeah yeah real um yeah yeah and I think um like yeah and you see that like it, mm -hmm. like I was when you were talking like I was thinking about Filipino families and Asian families and how they deal with things like when it when it is when it is like when it is tragedy or when it is something like hard like a lot like I feel like I was the <laughs> I don't know how this happened <laughs> like I feel like I inherited all of the emotions in my family <laughs> like all the generational lives because I was always just like yes so melodramatic like in mm -hmm. Philippine in Filipino they call it arte like you're marvelous you're like a drama queen and now like yes I've only when I was growing up I like came to know that word as something bad but now I was like I'm just like so into my feelings like all the time um and like uh and I feel like the like if your if your family is an immigrant family and like your parents um yeah they they moved here uh and I was like first generation, um, I feel like it was a survival tool for them to 
you to kind of just like mm-hmm. keep it in keep your head down keep working don't make a lot of noise and yeah. don't you, there's no like expression is a luxury it's like a privilege to be able sure. to be expressive about who you are and like how you like <laughs> yeah like, like, no what, for sure what are feelings we're just trying to put food on the table and go to work and also too <laughs> I think um culturally yeah. um, <laughs> I think it's so funny because I was called my art I was also called bruja a lot I not not in the past tense that still continues but um I think it's a very yeah, funny <laughs> Filipino culture or our family will call us that because I'm like but Filipino culture uh loves ma'arte like look at our movies they try and make everything comedy action drama every genre in one film I'm like is this movie done like it's been on for three hours it's time to end the movie um and I think that's what you said about you don't get to allow for the true expression of yourself especially as coming from an immigrant family and yes, that's exactly how I felt growing up. I was like, I can't really show you how I feel because I feel like the way I express it will be different from you. And also, I don't know how you're going to use it against me. That's <laughs> how I feel. I don't know. I just, you know, I felt like, like, like I literally, like literally our school was right by the bridal path. So it was very like, that's imagine I grew up, I was wearing, I was wearing like shoes from bargain heralds and byway. Those are such old stories, but anyways. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and imagine they were wearing like roots and bass weed. Like, like we can't even afford a fifth of those brands. So when I say that what they were going to, how they were going to use it against me, I felt like my differences were so apparent, just visually, just me being, it was, it was just, I was just different. I was just other. Mm -hmm. And so anything that would come out of me in whatever form of self-expression, I was like, Mm -hmm. this is just going to make me more different. And so therefore I'm not going to express them. And same too with, um, my immigrant family, because I grew up and I was born in North America, even though I grew up surrounded in my family, at least by Filipinos, to express that other side of me is also, I was like, well, I feel like I'm going to be othered from my own family, from my own culture. So I was just like, I'm not going to say anything to anyone. I'm just going to give a little bit here, a little bit there, but no, no one ever no one ever saw all of me. Probably not now. Maybe now a little bit through um, storytelling and performing. But otherwise, no. You all just get a tiny little piece of me. <laughs> yeah, you get those cues where it's like, this is acceptable with us mm-hmm. or it's not. And then people just kind of like, yeah, you perform yourself. And then you find like doing mm-hmm. things where it is acceptable um some spaces but yeah I think I think yeah bringing doing something that felt more authentic to you and then I think even just like time of like living uh of, of just yeah growing up I feel like you just get more comfortable with <laughs> the discomfort or like more like le- like le- like um i guess uh yeah more comfortable and just yeah being someone that you are what am i saying yeah and just being yourself and um yeah and then it's pay twelve hundred dollars for our motivational workbook. speech <laughs> um yeah no and what was I I was gonna say something about that Um, before I tried to pitch the workbook that um that we're not doing (laughs) if you want one though uh, yeah we'll put one together um he just said something that that reminded me of something (laughs) yes I don't the comfort I don't think comes from finally seeing the light and now you're more comfortable with yourself and 
I think honestly, well, for me, at least it was just like, this is really tiring to only just be a tiny piece of myself and suppress the rest of it because it's really only a very tiny sliver. Um, and the analogy is, it's like, you know, that auntie, everyone has this auntie who in public, she only eats like just a tiny piece of dessert. I'm just trying to watch my weight. She only eats like a tiny piece of dessert. And you know, when she gets home, she's, she's diving in there. That's what I feel like. I'm like, I'm just showing you this tiny piece. And then when I'm at home, that's who I really am. And it's tiring to just only show up with just a tiny piece of yourself and suppressing the rest. And I think that it's not just, you know, you saw the light and now I'm going to be my whole self. No, I think what it is, is just like, uh, I'm just tired of trying to tuck in my shirt all the time. I just want to be comfortable in these elastic pants and loose shirt and just be myself. I think that's what it is. That's that's the meaning of true happiness. Like if anything, like for me, it's like the simple things now that I'm like, yes, you know, right? like like a like a nice chair with back support, <laughs> right? Like that's like that's all yeah. I really want now. Like I don't want it. I don't need anything else. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah, we yeah we got to talk about too what's happening. Like things are so bad now, and like yeah, I was talking about it with Shohana last um, in the last uh, episode, where mm-hmm. it's like, um, yeah, everything's changed, um, and like all of these belief systems that we had in the things of like what defined us in terms of like our jobs, our relationships to what, to like certain people or social world, they've all kind of changed mm-hmm. and everybody's uh, globs in their homes right now. <laughs> like everybody's like with, with those things, like us removed from those things, it's like, we really have to take a good look of like, well, who am I when I'm on my own in my room and no one is looking and like yeah like what what is authentically me I'm going like yeah. <laughs> so all I'm exactly. saying is like yeah. I uh, this is everybody's going through an existential crisis chill out <laughs> yeah like um because yeah there is no there, like, we, there's just so much uncertainty. Mm-hmm. We don't know when nobody knows when they're gonna be going back to the office. Um, nobody knows what's like whether the relationship is gonna work out. Um, we don't know, and I think it's weirdly like I don't know for me, and you can you can speak to this. I feel like there's a weird comfort to it, or like. Maybe that's just because I'm accepting of like, um, of like that uncertainty or like that, I don't know, <laughs> of the void. I don't know. No, like, I think it's, it's just, yeah, like I'm, I'm used, like, I'm used to like looking inward and like seeing like what does, or like, I feel like the definition of me is, has always going to change. Um like who I am to my core is going to stay the same, but everything else is like nebulous. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like. Yeah, no, for sure. I, that's something that people and are the thing thinking is, about right now. When we go back, um, we won't even be the same. It's, it's been a year now and there's, it's just, and the thing that I actually yeah, think about nowadays um is I wonder, I hope that we're not the same, but I hope it's, it's for the better. Although I've been hearing some, some stories recently from friends where I feel like people have become so comfortable in their uneducated opinions, unresearched opinions, just ignorant, let's just say straight out ignorant perspectives and opinions that I it, it makes me it makes me uncomfortable it makes me uneasy and um 
especially as a parent, especially as a person of color, especially as children that are people of color, I, I worry about it. And so like, I try to, it drives me more to, 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 to lead with my values than to lead by anything else and only look after my own interests. Although to survive, yes, you do have to look after yourself. But I think the piece that people forget is you look after yourself, not just for yourself. You look after yourself so that the people that are immediately around you and maybe even further, though your energy affects them, like mm -hmm. your how you speak to them, how you treat them. Like they watch you as an example. Your friends watch you as an example. It's not really something that you always profess to each other. You're like, you're my example. No, it's just, that's why you're friends with them. There's something about them that you've either been friends with them for so long, or there's something that initially um, attracted you, you to them because of their energy, their personality, their values. So when people say take care of just yourself, I'm like, that's just so limiting. <laughs> yeah, it has to come down to like future generations and like <laughs> yeah, the world you want to exactly. build for them. Um, I think is what you're saying, right? Yeah. We are coming to a close, but I do want to ask what if you were to like say a quick blurb to yourself in a mm -hmm. in a letter to yourself in the future Whew. maybe a year or two for, for now um what would you want it to say well dear future self i hope you survived the <laughs> pandemic um in terms of health and also financially um in two years i hope that you were able to have some success whether it be through any of those three avenues of producing, storytelling, comedy, even writing. And if you did have those successes, I hope that there were people around you who benefited from it. And as a result, that their narratives and their voices were heard because it directly impacts the generation behind them. My daughter, <laughs> namely, and my son. So it's not because like I'm a social activist. I never see myself that way. It's just, it's, it's personal to me. I'm like, listen, the future is literally my kids. If you guys fuck up, I swear I'm coming for you. <laughs> yes, that's in my letter. <laughs> I'm looking forward to reading it. Um, before we go, uh, words for the people. And I, I believe in you. I believe you can do this. Um, can you tell them what oh, the you think of life? the meaning of life is in, in a sentence? <laughs> um, I believe you the can meaning do this of too. life. <laughs> you're, you're good at this. I mean, life, I, life isn't is this isn't to be analyzed um, to the degree which we do before we've actually lived it. Life is just something that you do and it's, it's ever changing. And I think in retrospect, it's, it's a huge lesson of many lessons. And I don't think that's something you should try to figure out before that, because then you, you don't, you don't live it. That's really beautifully said. Uh, no, I'm like, I'm grinning. Um, uh, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, that was, it's been an honor, Veronica and Topolo. And thank um, you for having me. <laughs> my name is Marie Soto. Thank you for listening to Afterlife Podcast.
So I don't know. I'm recording this on my shitty like millennial phone. <laughs> and like my headphones that I've like dropped into puddles. <laughs> uh, that's, that's my sound system. And um, I stand by it. <laughs> <laughs> yes.